Good morning. And greetings from Crossway Community Church in Crestview, Florida. It is a real pleasure to be here. I thank Jeff for inviting me. Same thing that Jeff said, I would echo this morning. Uh, really cherish the partnership between our churches. But in our region, we're kind of spread out. You guys do have a, the luxury of, a, of another church not too far away on the other side of the lake. But after that, you know, it's kind of ours. And so even though we do experience a rich fellowship and partnership, uh, we can go months and maybe for some of us even years before we get to interact with that. And so it can seem like, is there really anybody else out there or is it just us doing this? So I cherish opportunities to invite other pastors in to preach or for us to get together for something. Uh, I think it's a good for my church to hear a voice other than mine once in a while. But also just to be reminded, yeah, there are other people out there doing what we're doing and we're doing it together and we're focused on the same things. So thank you, Jeff, for leading your church in this way and, and having us out here. If you would, please open your Bibles to Psalm 57. While you're doing that, I had the opportunity. To, I learned a few things this morning. I learned that Jeff can sing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I may have to. I should have videoed that and shared it with the rest of the guys. Um, also, learn you guys can clap. We can't clap. Oh golly! Joyful noise, all that stuff. People just getting worshiping the Lord. You really do value that, but you also kind of go. I hope there's no guest here because this is embarrassing. You guys do a good job. Well done. Well. Well done. All right, well, let's read Psalm 57. I'll pray and proceed. As we're reading this morning, let's remember that these are the very words of God that we're reading this morning. He is speaking to us in these words. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows. Whose tongues are Sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. 
I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we are truly a blessed people to have your word. Grateful that you have preserved it for us and that for all eternity we will possess it. Lord, we ask this morning that your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, change us, affect us, Lord. Make us more like yourself. Do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, life as we know is full of surprises, is it not? Very, very full of surprises. Um, To hear the news just this morning of of the lady that's in your congregation uh, that we were praying for a moment ago, that's a surprise. Uh, Met a young woman, a fellow Floridian, who... She's here. It's kind of a surprise. You know, she didn't, she wasn't, it was not on her calendar for a hurricane to come through and and wipe out her whole area of the state of Florida. Life's full of surprises. The longer we live, the more surprises we encounter, the more convinced of this we become. And not all surprises are bad surprises. There are plenty of, of good surprises out there. But the difficult ones, the hard ones, they are difficult. <laughs> they are hard. There's, there's, a, there's something special about them that we categorize them and they get a lot of our attention. Last January, our newest grandson spent the third month of his life in the hospital and that was a surprise and it was surprisingly difficult on us. Hard to walk through that. Uh, two Sundays ago, a young man who grew up in our church, he's been gone for three and a half years. He left because I told him, you cannot share your heresy with the church. And he showed up two Sundays ago. It was a surprise, and I embraced him. We were glad to have him. But by the end of the day, people were sharing with me some surprising things that they were hearing from him. Met with him Friday and reiterated, you cannot be among us sharing this heresy. That was a surprise. That was not on my calendar, and it was emotionally difficult. <clears throat> in August, I was diagnosed with a malignant melanoma. In September, I had a patch of skin about that big removed off of my back. Uh, that was a surprise. That was not on my calendar. Um, difficult. I know Jeff walked through something very, very similar. Was that two years ago? Then four years? It was not on Jeff's calendar, I guarantee you. Two years, yeah. Um, Life's just full of these events. Ministry is no exception as well. When I started pastoral ministry, I was unprepared. I was unaware for the, the extent of the need for care among the body of Christ. Just the, these events that happen to people and the need to be able to come alongside. I didn't know just how great the need was, and I know that I sadly disappointed a number of folks in my congregation. 
In a, in a fallen world, God's people journey from one difficult circumstance to another. Some of them are surprising. Some of them are heart-wrenching. A number of them are irritating and aggravating. They're all inconvenient. They try our patience. Some of them try our assurance. Some of them try our perseverance in the faith. Anything from minor obstacles to those that are just downright debilitating. And none of us are exempt. Hey, we have fire trucks at our church too. <clears throat> we do. We're downtown just like you guys. And every Sunday, woo, <laughs> I feel at home. I feel at home. <clears throat> but none of us are exempt from these, these surprises. Life can change in a moment. It just takes a phone call, right? A phone call is all it takes. How are we prepared to respond and walk out our next surprise? How are you currently prepared and responding to the, the events in your life that are taking place right now? And, and how are we prepared to respond and walk beside our, a sister or a brother in the faith as they experience their next surprising challenge? God gives grace. He's allowed me to grow in this area. I have so far yet still to go. But I am also more aware of the importance of preparing the church for these things. Not just preparing myself as a pastor, but the church needs to be prepared for these things. Preparing the church for suffering and preparing the church to care for one another. The growth and the equipping that's necessary isn't just for pastors. It's for all of us in the body of Christ to care for one another. So there's this... Growing in the knowledge of God, growing in the knowledge of God's people, both of those things so that they can come together in care and in counsel for God's people, for the church, for the household of God. This might surprise you. Did you know that caring and counseling God's people doesn't mean that you have all the answers? Doesn't mean you have to know everything to be able to do that. It really is true. And it sounds obvious, I know, but at the same point in time, when you've come across the situation, you've had a challenge, you've gone to brothers and sisters in the church, you've even gone to Jeff or Kathy or someone like that, why did you go to them? You went to them because you wanted answers, right? Tell me what I need to know. Just tell me what I need to do. But we know that, you know, they don't have to have all the answers. None of us do. A good first lesson for anyone providing caring counsel to brothers and sisters in Christ is this. You aren't God. And you don't know the hearts of people like God does. So providing care and counsel is not about having all the answers. The task is to help others, going back to what we were talking about before, others get to know their heart better, get to know themselves better than they already do, and then help them to take their heart to God. So this getting to know ourselves, getting to know God more accurately. Providing care and counsel is about connecting the true person in front of you to the true person of Christ. It's not to know the heart of the person in front of you, but to help the person in front of you get to know their own heart better than they do you help the person in front of you gain a greater, more accurate self-understanding and then to take that more accurate self-understanding to God, to know their heart and then pour it out to God? We see this modeled in Scripture time and time again, particularly in the Psalms. 
In the Psalms, souls are laid bare to God amid the most trying times. Psalmists not only confess their needs and their wants, we, we, we're, we're good at confessing that to God, but more importantly, they confess an accurate awareness of themselves, an accurate assessment of their hearts. Only then can the care and counsel of the Holy Spirit truly begin to have an effect on them, the effect that their, their heart and their soul and their minds need. David's psalms are particularly good examples. David often pours out his heart. Sometimes he pours out his heart in confession. Sometimes he pours out his heart in desperation, pours out his heart in helplessness. Psalm 57 that we read a moment ago is an example of this. David lays his soul bare confessing his heart, he's confessing his circumstances, and then he turns to God and he, he, he makes a confession to God of God's faithfulness. So he's, he's confessing an awareness of himself, his heart, and a true awareness of God. He goes and goes, I know you, God. David's soul then can receive the care and the counsel that it needs. David's even able to find contentment in his circumstance. I'm helpless. I'm desperate. My God is faithful. So even as he's walking this out, hiding in caves, running for his life, he finds contentment. And as we see in this psalm, the contentment this time is so long as God receives Praise and glory. This stinks, but this is where I'm at. My God is faithful. That's cool. So long as God gets praise and glory in this, we are all right. And so often that praise and glory is David's praise of God's glory for everyone to hear. And this, again, is Psalm 57. So our main point this morning is going to be this. Care and counsel begin as we confess our true selves to the one true God. That's where real care, real counsel can come together when we confess our true selves to the one true God. Let me clarify what I mean by this. If I confess to God something other than my true self, I'm either trying to deceive God, that's not going to work so well, or I'm deceived. I don't really know what is going on inside of me yet. In either case, I'm not ready to receive help. Likewise, if I take my confession to God and my knowledge of God is not accurate, I'm likely to be asking God for things that are not a reflection of his character and his, himself or even his purpose for my life. So again, the more accurately I know myself, the more accurately I know the one true God, the better equipped I am to receive from God the care and the counsel that I need. Another quick example. If I think my biggest problem is you, <laughs> I don't know my biggest need. I don't really know what my true need is. I'm not prepared to receive the counsel that I need until I accurately confess to God that my biggest problem is me. I know myself now. And then confess to God faith in his promises, his faithfulness. Until that happens, I'm going to have a hard time receiving 
the care and the counsel that I need. So let's look at our first point. David's circumstance. We're going to call this David's confession. The title of the psalm gives us the context. He's hiding in a cave. He's fleeing from King Saul who wants to kill him. King Saul, David loves King Saul dearly. He's faithful to uh, King Saul, but Saul is jealous of David and he feels threatened by David. The blessing of God leaves Saul and it comes to David and Saul wants to eliminate his young rival. Even though David is so faithful to Saul, he now finds himself hiding in a cave all by himself to keep from being killed by the hands of Saul. David is helpless and desperate. He confesses his desperation in verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. We could say, you know, and we understand the sense here, David hasn't sinned against Saul. David doesn't deserve this. Um, David's innocent here. Now, again, none of us are innocent. But in this sense, he had, David hasn't done anything to Saul. So I find David's choice of words interesting. He doesn't pray for revenge. He asks God for mercy. David accurately confesses his need is to receive God's mercy. He, he repeats the plea twice probably suggesting that his, great, his need for mercy is very great. David cannot help himself here. He's desperate and helpless. Listen to how David describes those who hunt him in verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, a commentator from the 1800s, William Plummer, writes this about David's circumstances. He says, the fiercest of beasts, the most devouring of elements, and the sharpest of military weapons are here selected to represent the power and the fury of David's enemies. Could inspiration have used more decided or forcible language than it has? It says they are fierce, cruel, savage as lions. That they are violent, blind and heedless of all claims for tenderness. Their teeth are used to devour their neighbors, even their best friends. And that their tongue, man's glory, has become not an instrument of blessing God and man, but a sharp sword to make men bleed to fill them with pain, and to kill them. That's David's circumstances. And then in verse David, verse 6, David talks about their tactics. These are true hunters of men. These guys are not amateurs. They set traps for him. They set a net for my steps. They dig a pit for my way. The, un the unrighteous often try to ensnare the righteous. Finding sin, finding folly, something that they can use to ruin them. There's no doubt that David is walking through this. He has to watch every word, every action, every emotion, everything will, can be, and will be used against him. They almost succeed, 
In verse 6, my soul was bowed down. Has your soul ever been bowed down? Beat down, downtrodden, downcast, desperate and helpless. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. When these hard, difficult, bitter circumstances of life come to you, are the first words out of your mouth, be merciful to me, God? Um, Those aren't usually the first words out of my mouth, sadly. Most people I talk to would say, that's not the first thing I'm thinking. I hope that I can get to that place of asking God to be merciful with me before I do something or say something that I will truly need to ask God for mercy for. Those are the kind of thoughts I will typically have, first of all. We don't exactly know where David started. He does have the luxury of of writing out this psalm after he's processed everything, right? So he may have started where we started. He may have started mad, vengeful, arrogant, accusing, defensive, prideful. But he gets to a place that he records for us of asking God for mercy. David struggles with his thoughts and his emotions just like you and me. And that's okay. The Psalms teach us that it is safe to struggle in the presence of God. That's important. If you you walk away with nothing else, this idea of getting to know yourself and, and knowing God and bringing those together is this. It is safe to struggle in the presence of God. And it needs to be safe to struggle in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Sometimes caring and counseling a brother or sister in the church is simply drawing near to them as they safely struggle in your presence and in the presence of God. That means before we start talking talking and, and issuing judgments, we, we probably just need to be quiet and listen. Let them struggle. Ask questions that help them to struggle. In Psalm 40, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. If God inclines his ear to us to listen to us, then a really good practice for us when we're with that brother or sister who's struggling is to listen. If that's what God does, we should probably try doing the same thing before we start with all of our infinite wisdom, right? We spend a lifetime getting to know our own hearts, but all too often we think we know the other person's heart just like that. Pause and move a little bit slower. Get to know them better so we can really, really help. Struggle to get to know your own heart, knowing that you struggle safely in God's presence. Help your brothers and sisters struggle to get to know their own heart in the presence of God and provide a very safe place for them to do that. So despite how David may first have been tempted to respond, despite how you and I may be first tempted to respond to our situations, our deepest need before God is the same. We need someone who is outside of ourselves to help us 
know ourselves, someone outside of ourselves, in fact, to save us from ourselves. And a great place to start is right there at verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. Pursue God or pursue your caring, counseling friend to help you accurately interpret your circumstance. In God's eyes, what's really happening here? How am I misinterpreting this? What can I know about my heart in this situation? Help me to figure out what I'm missing. Helping, help me to see the logs in my eyes before I focus on the specks of my circumstance. So this is what David does. He, he, he truly confesses his circumstance, and then David responds. David quickly confesses the truth about his God. And this is the second point, David's response. David's response is one of exaltation. It's one of trust. Look at verse 1 again. David repeats himself again. In you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. John Calvin writes that God invites us to come to him. He invites us to himself. So as the storm of destruction sweeps over David still knows that his soul is safe. I hope that's helpful for my sister walking through the hurricane situation. As that storm is passing over, your soul is still safe. And we all have that truth available to us. So rather than take matters into his own hands or trust in himself alone, David goes to God. He trusts God for the outcome. In Scripture, wings are a metaphor of protection and refuge. We see this in Psalm 17. David, it's a psalm by David. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. In every adversity, we too have to be persuaded that God will cover us and protect us underneath his wings. Hens literally, I don't know if any of you have seen this, but hens literally do. They, they will gather their chicks under their wings to hide them and to protect them. And they can fight from that position. I once saw a video of uh, a mother hen. She had probably, I, I was, I, I'm going to guess, eight chicks tucked under her wings. And there were three cobras trying to get at her chicks. And they weren't succeeding. Three cobras. Every time they'd get close... She'd nail them on the top of the head with her beak, and they would just recoil. And I'm like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. We need to be those chicks, getting underneath the wings of God to be protected by him and trusting him with whatever the outcome may be. Look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Look at God most high. All three of those words are capitalized there. David's not describing God's geographical location. He's way up there. He'll do that later in the Psalm, but right here, he's talking God most high. It's, it's a name. It's a title. David has the privilege of knowing and praying to 
God Most High, the God who's above every false God, the God who is above all my problems and all my circumstances, the God who is above my greatest need to be saved from him and saved from myself. Is that the God that you draw near to in those difficult circumstances? Do you draw near to God most high who's above your problems and above your enemies? Or do your problems and your enemies rise above your God? It's important to know that God accurate, to know God accurately in difficult circumstances as the God most high and to respond to him, trusting him, remembering that it's safe to struggle in the presence of God. I'm not saying that this is easy. God doesn't mind us struggling. But when our perspective is skewed, our interpretation of our circumstances is skewed, it can also block our view of God. And we, don't, we might not see him as God most high. Until we get that interpretation right, confess our circumstances, trust in the faithfulness of God most high, it's hard to receive the care and the counsel that's being provided to us. A loving brother or sister can provide care and counsel as together you seek a right understanding of yourself and a right knowledge of God most high and then trust, respond, exalting God. Listen to what David <clears throat> does in verse 2 again. This is exaltation. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God who fulfills his purpose for you. What is God's purpose for you? As a child of God, what is his purpose for you? Is it that you'll never have unwanted circumstances? Is it that you'll never have enemies? Is it that debilitating chronic illness and disease will never be a part of your life? Or is God's purpose for your life that he be exalted and glorified? Exalted and glorified in you, exalted and glorified in your circumstance. As you respond to circumstances, respond to enemies, respond to illness. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, <clears throat> Dane Ortland writes this, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his deepest wishes. To put it the other way around, <clears throat> when we hold back, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. His joy and ours rise and fall together. And then he proceeds to quote Benjamin Grovesner from 1845, who writes this. I love this, these words. If you meet that poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, tell him there's another way. 
a better way of coming at my heart. If he will repent and look upon whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that bosom he has wounded. He shall find the blood he shed an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him from me, he who put me to more pain and displeasure, I'm sorry, and tell him from me, he will put me to more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew it forth. Christ wants us to bring these things to him, not to withdraw from him. It's safe to struggle in the presence of God. We pain Christ when we don't cry out to him in our time of need. When we cry out to him, his purposes for us are already underway. As our need for mercy increases, his supply of mercy increases. As we call upon him for mercy and take refuge in his wings, our comfort is made more sure. Christ endured the cross for the joy of your salvation that was set before him. He died for those situations. When our circumstances are accurately framed according to scripture, with gospel lenses, our circumstances, our problems quickly shift to outcomes. Suddenly we're able to imagine what God can do as he fulfills his purpose for us. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus tells his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So having confessed his circumstances accurately, Having responded to God in exultation, finally David praises the God of his salvation. This is our third point, David's praise and proclamation. Look at verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. And then down in verse 10, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. David praises God's love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness, he says that God will send from heaven to save him. David draws great comfort and great strength praising God's love, praising God's faithfulness that God is going to send. God hasn't sent it to him yet. But he trusts. Hiding in the cave. Praising God for what is going to come. Love and faithfulness. God did send out his love and faithfulness from heaven. Christ Jesus.